Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, uh, our Sabbath School from Home podcast. So glad that you have decided to join us. Uh, this week, Lachlan is not here, but I am here and uh, very pleased to be here. My name's Cameron. G'day. Ken here. Oh, sorry, Luke, I jumped in. <laughs> no, I, oh, I never remember what order it is that we're supposed to go in. I'm Luke. Uh, now, uh, for Luke and Ken's interest, uh, Lachlan and I had an interesting discussion last week. Uh, one of the points which I remembered and then was suddenly unsure of myself um, and mentioned it in the podcast and then qualified and said, uh, I better go and look that up, is something which I have looked up since. It was on the distinction between Pharisees and Sadducees. And my remembrance was correct. The The Sadducees were politically aligned with the Romans more closely than the Pharisees, and they were more closely tied to the, the priests in the temple. Um, the Sadducees insisted... Jerusalem to be the place of worship, but the Pharisees uh, were trying to bring learning and study into people's homes. Um, and we noted with interest last week when we were reading a passage in Acts that there's Gamaliel the Pharisee and Nicodemus the Pharisee and, of course, uh, Saul who becomes Paul the Pharisee who um, who appear to be open to this new Christian message. Uh, to varying degrees. But it's very hard to think of any named Sadducees. Mm. And, and, and that's a really, that, that is a really interesting uh, lead-in to our discussion this week because one of the things that suggests is that um, you see what you are open to seeing. And if you're not open to seeing, you don't see it. And there's a great spiritual truth uh, in that regard uh, that seems to apply very well with the resurrection and we can perhaps explore that a little bit looking at a number of different occasions of mm. encounters with the resurrected yeah a uh, quick question cam because you've piqued my curiosity mm. and you sound like you'd know the answer who composed the sanhedrin i don't know i'll have to go and do more research the the um sadducees were richer the, the Sadducees were, I'm going to use an analogy here, which is perhaps unkind. Um, the Sadducees were the uh, administrative staff at the university and the Pharisees were the researchers. <laughs> I can't imagine why that would be unkind. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know if that's fair. I will check with Clancy. Uh, she is in a very uh, balanced position to answer this question, being both a researcher and an administrative um you know, staff at, at Avondale, so uh, she can give me a balanced perspective. But that that was the sort of sense I got in the articles that I that I read. So, for instance, in the passage that I read with Locke, uh, Gamaliel stands up in front of the Sanhedrin, so he was there. This is when the um, when uh, this is when the disciples are brought before for pre- before them for preaching about Christ, and um, Gamaliel says warns everyone and says, you know, well, this might just be a human idea and it'll die out if it is but if it's from god you better be careful about fighting it and they all listen to him so he obviously has some voice of authority within the within the sanhedrin um and uh it's interesting to see sort of and this is the discussion lachlan and i had uh was you know we look back with that benefit of two thousand years of history and all sorts of traditions we inherit and we sort of pin down a very clear-cut systematized categorized 
all details worked out picture of what Christ's death means. And it's just interesting seeing in the book of Acts what the local people at that time were doing to try and work out what it meant. And, um, and Gamaliel makes a comparison to two other local insurrections. He said maybe it's going to be just like these two people who had their own followings and then, then it died out. When, when the leader died, they, the followers dispersed. So that was that was the the spirit of last week's uh, discussion. Um, let's jump into this one, Ken. You're right. This week is talking about uh, Christ's resurrection and uh, the encounters he had with people post-resurrection. There's a few passages we spoke over before we began recording. Uh, do either of you have a favourite to start with? Uh, yes, I I particularly love uh, the road to Emmaus. Right. Uh, that's Luke, isn't it? I think it's Luke. Just going there now. Uh, and, and it's not just the road to Emmaus, it's also uh, another appearance after that. So it's Luke twenty four thirteen. Uh Do you want to read that, Ken? Oh, look, why don't I start? Um... Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? And do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers sentenced, handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. That is a fascinating story. I, I there, there are all sorts of things in it that I just that I just love. That he that he 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 comes up and walks along with them, um, uh, but they were kept from recognizing. And he would know what they were talking about. But he asks them, "What are you talking about?" And and, and it just strikes yeah. me that he's in this way that seems to characterize him very often. I think he's just. He's enjoying uh, the mystery of it with them. 
Um, even mm. though even though he knows the answer, he's letting them experience the mystery. Indeed, there's a there's a there's a playful sense to what he's doing, um, because he doesn't just say what are you talking about, and then when they tell him, he says what things when he's been the centre of those things. So yeah. it's it's I, I think uh, and and but but what he does is, and this is the way that so often I think God works, and this is the attractiveness of Jesus. He did it with Peter. Who do you say I am? Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? He he lets people discover their faith um, without imposing it on them in, in a way that I think is very winsome and in a way that's very much in contrast to so much of our evangelism in which we, we almost force people by uh, or compel people by force of logic to accept the truth of what we're saying um, yeah. rather than to let it be discovered and come about um, Ken, have you, have you ever read uh, The Princess and the Goblin? I have not clearly another of my uh, you know, culturally inadequate education it is it has um, as much depth as any of the Narnia books in terms of deep ideas, uh, but is told very much as a fairy tale. It's in the genre of a fairy tale, so it's a slightly different genre, written at a slightly earlier time, and more poetic language than is used in the Narnia books. I think you'd really enjoy the language. Mm. But um, in there, one of the characters says to one of the other characters... Um, Curdie, Curdie can't believe you. She, this, the princess is very upset because Curdie won't believe her. And uh, she said, uh, you know, she has, he has many good reasons why he can't believe in you. Those who can believe more must not be hard on those who can't or must not be hard on those who can believe less. Um, mm. uh, this idea that this idea that there are things that limit us uh, from from our belief, and that uh, no one who believes more has any cause for impatience. For that reference to mean as much as it means to me, all our listeners will have to go and read the book, which is a delightful story. It's it's wonderful. Um, uh, it's really, really good. Um, it brings me to the phrase that jumped out at me, which is verse 16, where it says, but they were kept from recognising him. Mm. It doesn't say they were kept... It doesn't say he kept them no. from recognising. No, there was something uh, that left... kept them from recognising. And it's left ambiguous what that was. Mm. Mm. And indeed, uh, then their eyes were opened uh, and they recognised him in verse 31. Well, what is it that opened their eyes? So often we might be tempted to think this is something miraculous. And I accept that faith is a gift of God and and and, and our belief is something that um, we receive, but so much has happened between those two things. Uh, they've been asked questions. They've expressed their own faith. He has explained things to them. So, um, uh, indeed, I say he's he, he's allowed them to express their own belief. He does say to them, "How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." So maybe I'm wrong to to, to say he doesn't really because he well, he speaks to them quite firmly. There was I, I had a matter in court the other week where 
um, somebody made a submission and I then put the um, corollary of the, the rather ridiculous corollary of the submission that they'd made and they adopted that ridiculous corollary to which I responded rubbish um, and then felt very bad about it because one probably shouldn't say that. One might probably just best to say, well, with the greatest of respect, that can't be right, can it? Um, uh, but um, uh, Jesus was quite firm in taking them to task. Uh, but, and then he explained things to them. So he started right back at the beginning. Uh starting with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I love the other bit too, where he, where he sort of pretends he's just going to keep going. Um, uh, yeah. Again, there's, there's, there's a lot of pretending going on here with Jesus. And you say, yes. it, might, it, might not be, it might not be that he was stopping them from recognizing him in, in some miraculous sense, but it might be that he was... Uh, playing along with their lack of recognition. Um. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's a very good story. Um, it's interesting also that this testimony is met with some suspicion when they bring it back to the disciples. Mm. 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 Um, interesting that they recognized him when he broke the bread. Um, I'm thinking of the last occasion when he broke bread uh, and what the connection might be between mm. those two stories. Yeah. Um. The lesson draws attention to the fact that Christ was, the resurrected Christ still had the scars on him from the crucifixion, that he would bear these scars forever. And what does this tell us about his love for us? Um, that question can go in all sorts of facetious directions. If if Christ was resurrected with, with the scars on him from the crucifixion, uh, what's going to happen to people who died by dismemberment? Uh, you know, the resurrection resurrected body might be a disappointment for some people, um, but I think that that's perhaps a less than than useful direction for our inquiry to go. Um, <clears throat> my favourite character doesn't feature in this story, Ken. No. Uh, my favourite character is the character of Thomas. Uh, I like Thomas. I think he's down to earth. I think he has the admirable qualities that ought to go with someone who's slightly pessimistic. Mm. And he speaks so the he, truth. He speaks the truth and he has a firmness of resolve that the other disciples don't have on some occasions. Uh, so in the story of Lazarus, it's Thomas who says, oh, look, I know everyone's trying to kill Christ, but at least we can die with him. Let's go along anyway. Um, and, you know, if you expect everything to turn out for the worst, then um, you're willing to face it. And and I find that admirable. So I think that Thomas gets a bad rap uh, when we call him uh, uh, Doubting Thomas. Doubting. Yeah. Well, they all doubt. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The women, the women come back with the women's testimony, which um, I don't remember where I recently heard it pointed out that, uh, that, culturally speaking, a woman's testimony wouldn't wouldn't have meant much um, in those days, and uh, none of the disciples really 
fully believed them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I I have to say that without judgment because I probably wouldn't have either. Uh, I don't know why we single Thomas out as having less faith than the rest of them. They were they were all they were all about the same, and and they were all typical of of humans. We 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 doubt all the time. It's very normal. Well, it would be very dangerous for us not to doubt all the time. Um, it is possible for us to you know it's like when Christ appears and they think they've seen a ghost. Um, uh, it is possible for our senses to be tricked. We know this from experience. Any sensible person knows it's possible to be mistaken. And so some level of doubt is is a necessary part of navigating the world we live in. Um, it's interesting in the passage we just read, Ken, uh, in Luke, before we jump over to John, um, the women, when they're talking to Christ, they don't say that the women saw an angel. They say that the women saw a vision of angels. Mm. Mm. Almost as if that implies some scepticism about whether the angels were there. Well, it, it, it also, look, I think you, you, you pick up a good point because when one goes over to Acts, and this was the ascension, um, uh, Acts 1 and verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Um, uh, now, I mean, there's a contrast there in the sense that well, that they were there, they stood beside them rather than there was just a vision of the standing beside them. But you get this sense that, well, it was while they were looking intently up into the sky, then these beings appeared. Um, um, mm. Well, the the other thing that I was, I was going to add is that it's... Jesus does a lot of disappearing and reappearing and and vanishing and 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 not being recognizable whether or not that's that's supernatural or not you know a, a lot of things which he didn't do prior to the death and resurrection so it is a new situation with a lot of different things happening it's quite right i think for them to be it is a new situation, of course, and and I don't think we should resile from the whether that's supernatural or not part of it. Um, it cannot be but supernatural if it is a resurrected Christ, um, you know. Well, yes, uh, so, right. so 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 th- that there <laughs> might be there might be some apparently uh, supernatural um, uh, events that that go with it. Well, uh, ought not be a surprise. Uh. Yes, yeah, that's that's a very good point. I mean, it really doesn't matter whether or not they they didn't recognize him because there was, I mean, something supernatural had just occurred. He he was raised from the dead. So it really didn't matter whether or not they they didn't recognize him because um, th- there was some some spiritual veil, or they didn't recognize him because they just weren't expecting to see him, which is something the human brain does a lot. I remember. Um, quite a few occasions when I was in China, um, after I'd, I'd, I'd gotten pretty good at Mandarin. Um, and, uh, when I would say something to people, uh, they would look very confused and puzzled, um, because they thought I was speaking English. 
and therefore uh, they couldn't understand. Mm. I yeah. wasn't speaking yeah. English. They and and they didn't understand because they weren't expecting to hear mm. something that they understood. Um, and I think that's an interesting. That is something that the human brain does. Mm. Yeah, we we don't understand when we're not expecting to. Yeah. Thomas is at least um, fairly systematic in this approach. So if we jump over to John chapter twenty, I believe. It is. Yeah, John twenty. Verse twenty. And. Um, I'll read from verse 24. Uh, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. That's a week's a long time. Um, and Thomas was with them. Uh, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Of course, the other disciples only believed because they'd seen him also. It's interesting. If one goes back to Matthew chapter 28 and uh, verse 8, um, uh, so they'd uh, seen some angels uh, or the angels had said or the angel had said don't be afraid he's not here he's risen just as he said this is where he was he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee there you will see him now, now I have told you so the women hurried away and afraid yet filled with joy interesting isn't it there's there's often those two elements to a spiritual experience suddenly jesus met them greetings he said they came to him clasped his feet and worshiped him so there was a physical encounter with christ that those women had um, and the others uh, um, uh, had had seen uh, jesus and he breathed on them peace uh, be with you um, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so, um, again, breathing on them is a, is a physical encounter. Um, and, and it must, and, and the resurrected Christ today meets us in our bodies. Uh, we are embodied beings and, uh, we live our lives in this material world, not solely in this material world, but in this material world. And we ought give that the, um, the weight that it deserves rather than just palming everything off into a solely spiritual existence. Yeah. Yeah. While you were talking, Ken, I was looking up a quote, it being far too long since we've quoted C.S. Lewis, and I was feeling remiss on this. Um, no, a quote came to mind. Um, there is something about all you, this. You did refer to Princess and the Goblin. Princess and the Goblin, yeah, that's... It's not C.S. Lewis, but yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, George, George MacDonald, isn't it? Who was one of... Who was his, his mentor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, C.S. Lewis, there, there's something about this whole story the fact that Christ goes through doors the fact that he's seemingly you know he can appear and disappear which I can't do 
But in the next story, he's eating fish um, and cooking things, and he's got hands and scars and a side. There seems to be sort of a vague inconsistency to it. This, and I guess it's what you were referring to, Ken, about this sort of what it's it's not clear to me where the balance lies between how much of this story is happening in the natural world and how mm. much of it is is supernatural. And um, there's something about it that just makes me feel uncomfortable. Another example of of that uh, uh, mystery and that potential mm. for confusion is in the very first story in The Road to Emmaus where their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he immediately disappeared. Um, <laughs> mm. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the, that, 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 that just adds to the enigma. It adds to the enigma. And, you know, you would, I, I have sympathy with people who read this story and say, these people are deluded. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis had this to say in defence of the miraculous. Because we have some vague sort of sense that because the world is regular, it ought to be regular. And that these irregular happenings, and it's not just the resurrection of Christ, it's miraculous happenings in general, somehow can't fit in uh, with the world as we know it. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this, If this week I put a £1,000 in the drawer of my desk, and £2,000 next week, and another 1000 the week after, the laws of arithmetic allow me to predict that the next time I come to my drawer I shall find... Uh, £4,000. Is it four? Yes, because he puts in 1000 then 2000 then another 1000 uh, So that, that uh, laws of arithmet uh, arithmetic allow me to predict that the next time I come to my drawer, I shall find £4,000. But suppose when I next open the drawer, I find only £1,000. What shall I conclude? That the laws of arithmetic have been broken? Certainly not. I might more reasonably conclude that some thief has broken the laws of the state and stolen £3,000 out of my drawer. Uh, furthermore, it would be ludicrous to claim that the laws of arithmetic made it impossible to believe in the existence of such a thief, or the possibility of his intervention. On the contrary, it is the normal workings of those laws that have exposed the existence and activity of the thief. Uh, so Lewis's argument is, yes, of course the universe is almost invariably regular. Um, uh, what we call the laws, the scientific laws, that are really statements of that regularity. Um, they don't mean that it, the universe must always behave that way. The law just states that it does, almost invariably, they're, or invariably. They're descriptive um, rather than limiting. They're descriptive rather than limiting. And um, the thief who... Uh, takes a thousand pounds out of a drawer, or maybe the benefactor who puts another thousand pounds in the drawer is not breaking the laws of arithmetic. And a god who chooses to intervene at different times and in different ways, uh, some of them more unusual and less predictable, um, is not breaking the natural laws. He's acting outside them or parallel along with them. I found that sort of a helpful paradigm to live with. I still do find it very mysterious. Mm. I mean, if somebody came into my courtroom and said, uh, uh, I was completely dead yesterday and now I'm miraculously alive. Uh, you know, the doctors pronounced me dead and uh, I've been in the grave for three days and now I'm miraculously alive. Well, 
I would just not accept that evidence. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just preposterous. Um, and, and yet that's what we're asked to do. Uh, indeed, we're not even asked in one sense to accept the statement of the person about themselves. We're asked to accept the statement of others, which adds an additional possibility of error into it about what happened. One, one thing that I think increasingly is that we get the order wrong sometimes. We say, let us convince you about Christ. And once convinced, you'll become part of our community. And when you've assented to this sort of intellectual, when you've agreed that the witness who appears in your court really did see someone die and, and rise from the dead, which does feel a bit far-fetched. The witness was, it happened 2,000 years ago, Ken, mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, you know, this is a bit of a far-fetched thing. But if we can, uh, you know, against the odds of the basic credulity of the average person, if we can convince you that this is true, then you're welcome to be part of our group and um, will then work to do God's will on the world. Um, maybe that's not fair. Maybe it's fairer to say, let's welcome people and help them where they are. Uh, let's show them that Christ is risen from experience. This is, this is I think, maybe what Paul did. Paul, Paul did do a lot of preaching, um, but he also showed by the way he lived, that there was something very significant. Like when the jail opens and he has the opportunity to escape, which would have meant the death of the jailer, and he doesn't. And he calls out, he says, it's fine, we're still here. We're still in jail. Um, You know, that's an unusual thing. Mm. And that unusual thing adds credence to the other unusual thing he's claiming, which is this this risen Christ. Um, So maybe we should be less insistent that, that people are sent to this event happening quite so completely um, maybe we should say it is reasonable that people are sceptical and if Christ is risen and if he is living in us um, if, if we're not presenting to them something unusual in our lives unusually good something unusually gracious something unusually giving something, if we don't give them some reason to suspect that we might be living a truth, not just talking about it, then then why we why should we expect them to listen to us when we're trying to convince them that that this guy rose from the dead two thousand years ago? Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned that. Camp. I recently um, uh, on one of my work trips met, met met a guy who who joined our church as an adult, and he he did so exactly for the reasons you described. Yeah. Because there was just something different about these people, right? And and they weren't angry and selfish like most other people, um, and they treated him differently, and and consistently over a long period of association as neighbours and, yeah. and colleagues and things like that. And um, yeah, he said he he it, it was. We've talked about this before, the idea of witnessing 
what does witnessing mean? Um, and it wasn't anything these people told him. It wasn't anything they taught him. They didn't teach him about the 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 multi metal statue um, that was smashed at the feet by the rock. No, it wasn't any of that stuff. It was because they were they were they they were kind to him. Hmm. Um, and they they showed him that people could be different to the way that he had always thought people were, which selfish and angry and, and, and sad. Yeah. Um, and empty. Um, so I think, you know, from, from that sort of story, it, a lot, a lot of truth in, in what you're saying. Hmm. Um, well, Christ said, uh, this is how people will know that you're my disciples and that you love one another. Um, the, the simplicity of that we so easily yeah. overlook. Um, so simple and yet so hard <laughs> to do and so often overlooked. Yeah. Um, Michael Lindig said once uh, that if you love one another, you'll be happy. It's as simple and as difficult as that. Mm. Mm. Uh, which I think has a lot of a lot of truth to it. Uh, of course, um, the disciples did go on to preach, and I think we're going to spend some time in future weeks looking at how um, they grew in their knowledge of what the resurrection meant, you know, throughout the New Testament church. And they did do a lot of preaching. They also did do a lot of helping, and they also devoted time and energy to ensuring that things within their community were done fairly, um, and that the widow and the orphans who were being looked after and that uh, the wealthy were generous and that everyone helped each other, you know. So um, I recoil from the preaching side and I'm much more comfortable with the... Um, I'm much more comfortable with the sentiment uh, preach always and if necessary use words. Um, I, I don't know if I'm very good at living it, but I, that, that's a model of evangelism I'm... I'm comfortable with. I'm less comfortable with the preaching. It would be wrong to say that the preaching has no place because, you know, the New Testament is full of it. Um, I guess uh, I don't know what the path forward is, except perhaps that it's good that there's all sorts of people in the community and we can approach this in different ways and and together um, uh, each benefit. Um, I'm glad though that there are room there is room for people in the church like Thomas. And the rest of the disciples, for that matter. I, don't, I really don't see that much difference between Thomas's doubt and the rest of the, the other disciples' doubt. But you know, it's comforting that that it was people like this, and that um, that they needed convincing. It was a really strange thing to them, but th- they were convinced um, to the extent that many of them died for their faith. That that may be a, a pretty good thought to uh, finish up on, Cam. The idea that uh, um, we can be comforted by the fact that there is room in the church for for a very diverse group. Yes. Well, let's leave it there, including those those of us who struggle. I commented to Locke the... uh, last week, Luke, that uh, uh, we've long maintained a resolve to keep our podcasts a bit shorter, and that for at least I think three weeks in a row now we've kept them low 40 minutes and I'm eyeing the clock and we, we stand a very good chance uh, of doing it again so we will leave it there 
Um, thank you to our listener uh, for joining us. If uh, you have any friends or indeed any enemies uh, that you feel would benefit from this podcast, uh, then please share it with them. Uh, if you have any thoughts that you feel we would benefit from, be they words of admonition and um, correction or words of encouragement, uh, then any of those messages can be sent to sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And uh, please join us again next week.